0: This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal.
1: Are we not the best of some friends already? Only in media. Okay.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a podcast that, frankly, is going to have the most offensive and hottest take that I think I've ever heard. I, I apologize in advance uh, on behalf of of my uh, my panelists. And my goodness, buckle up because we're going to do a little bit of stargazing. And oh man, there there are no heroes. Uh, joined by by Tyler and Mark. How's it going, guys?
1: Going great. KT told me I have a drink, and so I'm taking her up on.
0: I'm going to need one.
2: This (laughs) is going to be be a fun podcast. (laughs) It's
0: just the the insert your, you know, popcorn eating gif here. We're going to get to it. We're going to talk about what has been uh, a very up and down. um, uh, Let's just call it a second round of extremes so far out of the Dallas, Dallas Stars after, you know, last night's big win drawing level with the series. Two games to two heading into a pretty important game on Thursday in Dallas. There's just a ton going on. They've got the timely contributions from depth players, re-emergence from you know big time names, injuries, galore. Where, where do you where do you guys want to start?
1: Oh, let's start with Yoel Kiviranta tripling his assist total for the regular season already in the playoffs.
0: There you go. Now that was uh, part of the reason he was back in, of course, getting to a first injury is Ty DeLandria is out with illness. Now, I'm not going to lie. I've been part of the low-key, let's-get-Kiviranta-back-into-the-lineup crew for a little while. I think he adds an element. Is, is this proving that, Mark, or is this just kind of depth pieces coming in and out as they want to do? I
1: think it's just depth piece and random bounces of the puck.
0: So you're not a, a Kiviranta truther?
1: Oh no, I, I I am. I I like his game. I think he brings something to it. But I I think the fourth line and uh, and everything that's gone with it has kind of stunk up the building so far this series. And so any anything good that we get out of him is found money.
0: Now um you know Tyler going ahead and bringing you in early. So do you do you concur? Do you think there's more to it? If if Delandry is healthy, does he draw back in? What what's your take on the kind of bottom stretches of the Stars lineup right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think that the the Stars are in a kind of, let's just call it an intrigue situation where I think they have several players who can fill that fourth-line role well, well being the terms of, you know, kind of what you expect from your fourth line. Like, basically, whenever I'm watching the game, if the fourth line is eating up minutes in the offensive zone, or at least they're not getting shelled in our own defensive zone, that's a win for me. And it's much harder to do against a really deep team like Seattle But I think for the most part, even if they're kind of obviously like the weak link being that fourth line, uh, there's no one in the Stars, you know, forward lineup that I'm saying like, oh, God, like they just need to get out. They need to go to the press box. Someone uh, someone needs to come in. Give me some Victor Olofsson. Like, well, is he not in the lineup? I mean, there's no type of situation that for me. So it's kind of just like, you know, whatever. Is just for the most part, it's like all right, cool. That's the fourth line. That's our bottom lineup, and
0: you know, let's move on. Yeah, I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair way to put it. I You know, I'm. I don't know. It's hard. It's it's easy to get angry at that group because, to your point, Tyler, they don't tend to contribute much in the way of offense. And when your your success criteria is not getting shelled, and you you get shelled a little bit. That can skew things very rapidly. So it's it's hard to it's not it's not going to turn the series, but I, I thought at least in in game four it was a good move. It, it, that that unit had a little bit more pep. It was a pretty good performance, and I, I want to start there and because we just dove right into it. This has been a very strange series to me, because and it's sort of shades of shades of Minnesota a little bit, right? So I think overall, if you're the stars, you're probably okay. Being two to two, you could probably make the case that, you know, maybe three to one is is more realistic. And, and the way I mean that is thinking about their performances, there was about a five-minute stretch in game one where Seattle did most of their damage. And then there was the aftermath of Miro Haskinen getting hit in the face with a puck that sort of triggered things exploding in game three. But in particular, you know, large stretches of game two, large stretches of game four. There have been a lot of the series where Dallas has been in pretty comfortable control. Am I insane?
1: I think that you are somewhat insane. Um, okay. I, I, I think that Seattle has been able to cause a lot of havoc. And uh, and when they've broken through, they've broken through big. Um, and they've been able to do it against our, our best defender. I mean, if you if you want to take a look, there was a there was this big Twitter controversy uh, when uh, when Mike and McCurdy pointed out that Miro Haskinen had in game Four a pretty bad game and Dallas fandom stood up for him. But if you look at the raw numbers, he hasn't had a great series so far. And one of the reasons is that he's been one of the few people who's been out there for both the offensive stretches and the defensive stretches and the defensive stretches have been really bad. And that's because of stuff that Seattle is doing to Dallas that they aren't comfortable and they don't have a good way to get out of.
0: Now let's put a little bit of context to it. I'm putting you on the spot because I know you were dropping this on us in the pre-call. When you say Miro has been bad, tell us a little bit about what leads you to make that you know, on the face of it, horrifying statement?
1: Well, I, I'm just looking at some raw numbers. So, for instance, mm-hmm. if you go to Natural Stat Trick, one of the things that uh, that they do really usefully is give you know expected goal percentages for every player on the stars. And Miro leads the team in expected goals against, which you might expect because he's been on the ice a lot, but he also is next to last, and, and this meaning bad, in, in the expected goals against percentage. And that's only ahead of uh, Yoel Kiviranta, who's only played one game. So if you take a look at that Suter and uh, in Miro pair, they've been worse than anybody else on the stars. At least if you have any kind of trust in expected goals, uh, black box, that might be how that's calculated.
0: And, and Tyler, should we trust expected goals or has Mark just gone off the rails here for the sake of controversy?
2: Uh, th- th- this, was, this was a fun uh, Twitter argument that was gone. Because I remember when uh, Micah made that, I saw it like eight minutes after he posted. And I think I was like the first quote tweet on it. And I was like, my basic take was, you know, this was it was really interesting because he was specifically, uh, basically what Micah was saying was, hey, I'm hearing this narrative that, Pace had this outstanding game back. He was fantastic. He was the reason Stars won. But I'm looking, here's the numbers, and it was actually a pretty bad performance. And, you know, my take was essentially right off the bat. It's like, well, you know, this is pretty interesting, just the fact that, you know, when we talk about eye test versus analytics, typically we're talking about, like, you know, fourth-line depth guys, you know, third-parent defensemen, like the type that, like, gritty players that coaches love. You don't really see this discussion much with, like, like elite players and Saad Youssef uh, had also put out a great uh, piece on The Athletic about the game where he broke down a lot of the film of specific plays that isolated, basically these great plays that Miro did in his first game back. And so you had, on one hand, this film backup, and on one hand, you had these raw numbers. And my observation was basically, you know, hey, this is just a nice discourse. It's interesting to back and forth, and it kind of paints things in a different light. Uh, and then I kind of figured it would probably Maybe that's kind of where I left it. And then checking later and it suddenly blew up uh the Dallas Stars uh Twitter admin. Uh, End up clapping back at Micah, and then was later most likely forced to delete his tweet by his bosses. Uh, so this whole <laughs> always, thing
0: always a fun time.
2: Th- so this whole thing like kind of blew up like crazy. To answer your question, I don't think it's it's unwarranted. I, I think there's definitely cases where Miro has uh, not looked as sharp or as dominant as he's had, not just in this game in this whole series. And I think that speaks a lot to the fact that, um, especially when you're looking at these statistics when you're talking about expected goals for and against what Seattle's done very well, this series and you can view this as like a, as it's a, either a good thing or it's a very good thing, depending on how you, uh, uh, how your optimism you frame things, but they've done very good at scoring in bursts. Uh, you saw that in game one where they got three goals in 52 seconds. You saw that in game three when they scored um, the four goals in just five minutes. You saw that even almost to an extent with, uh, or it was kind of maybe looking like it might get that way in the third period of Dallas-Night's game where they kind of completely flipped the script and started dominating Dallas and putting all these shots on net and end up you know, scoring two goals out of it they're very good at kind of flipping that switch and getting results really quick. I mean, they they were one of the top, they were the top team, I think as far as like even string scoring, like for the regular season, like they were just like amazing at it. And that's definitely carried over in the postseason. That's what we're seeing here in this series against Dallas.
0: Yeah. It, it feels like it's coming all across the lineup. Now, let me ask this, right. Cause a lot of the, the expected goal stuff, and I don't have the, um, you know, the, Shared minutes information in front of me. This, this seems to go hand in hand with, you know, hence got his, I think, second goal of the series last night and Jason Robertson continues to be relatively quiet. Um, You know, Joe Pavelski has been with Domi and Marchment for large stretches, right? So is, is part of the, you know, it's, is it it's one of those like chicken and egg things, right? Is, is part of Miro's struggles to influence offensively due to the kind of struggles of the Dallas's top line to exert itself offensively or flip it, right? Are they struggling because he's struggling, right? Is, are those two things related in your eyes?
1: I mean, I think that there a lot of this is flurry related and a lot of the, the expected goals percentages and, and how close you are to the net makes a big difference. And there have been situations, you know, neither Suter nor Miro really is the kind of guy who's going to clean out the crease. They're much more likely to be doing things with their sticks where they're they're tying things up. And so there have been opportunities in tight. So maybe you could find an argument in there where the type of things that they're doing make them look a little worse in the expected goal calculation than, uh, than, than maybe actual. But I, I'm just looking at some of the some of the play here. I think Miro and Suter have just been playing in much more of a high event type status. Because if, if you take a look, it's not really just that they're giving up uh, a, a bunch of uh, expected goals, but they're also on the other end. They're right in the middle of it when goals are being scored as well. This you know it's kind of the anti Joel Hanley, if you will. On both ends, they're creating chances Anti-Joel and they're giving Hanley. up chances. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Do you yeah, think, I, I love that. Uh, just for all of the backstory we've got with Joel Hanley here on the Stargazing Podcast. My question then is, is that somewhat intentional? And and the reason I say the, the, the thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put my Pete DeBoer head on right now, but we know that overall the defensive core for the Dallas Stars is not their main strength. Simultaneous to that, we know that Seattle's calling card is the classic, you know, the cliched four second line things. Do you think that shifting into more of a high event mode is an acknowledgement that Dallas maybe needs to trade some chances to it's it's sort of instead of off instead of trying to lean on a defensive unit that may not be able to bear it that you maybe open up the game in hopes that you can kind of outchance your problems a little bit right maybe your high end is higher and your low end isn't quite as low and and you're able to nullify Seattle by by almost going strength on strength is that is there any chance that what we're seeing is kind of an intentional um, strategic choice by the stars? I think there's
2: probably part of that at the least, because I think if you're Dallas and you kind of, we're talking about this, you know, struggles at the top line, you know, Hints getting your first goal, Robertson still kind of a no-show. He finally got his first point in the series, but it was on the power play. It, it's definitely a case where if you're Dallas, your advantage over Seattle, we talked about this when we were, before the series started, your advantage is that star power and that offensive kick that, you know, this best line hockey, this true top, you know, line that, Seattle just can't match even with their depth. And when that's not generating for you, if that's not giving you that clear edge, that's where we see, you know, the weaker fourth line, the complete lack of defensive depth after Haskinen, like in game three we saw, um, that really starts to hurt you. So, I mean, I definitely think that first in that regard, yeah, you're probably trying to do everything you can with um, to jumpstart your offense, especially because, you know, Haskinen and Thomas Harley are really the only... Stars players, I'd argue that can really do that for them. And then I think also the thing about Haskinen, and again, I think we kind of saw it in Game Three, is he's very much a. hardly might have actually said this in the post-game interview, but he's very much kind of like a a safety net for Dallas, and that what he does best is, like Mark said, it's not clogging up the defensive zone or stuff like that. It's it's specifically transition games in his. Uh, stick work and if you notice when you look at all the you know for instance all the highlights that you know Saad put in his article and Gipping it a lot of it is his disrupting of uh, passes that could have led to high danger scoring opportunities there's like a four on two uh, I believe it was towards the end of uh, the second period I can't remember exactly when but he broke that up uh, fantastic maybe that doesn't uh, show up well in you know when it comes to hashtag fancy stats because it's you know, if we're if we're measuring, you know, expected goals and like shot pressures and whatnot, then if the shot never actually happens or you keep it from happening, you know, that's never going to pop up. But uh, to that extension, I think Dallas is really probably banking on that where they can afford to be a little bit more loosey goosey with the puck because if then they end up turning over the puck over and it's come the other way, you know, in could be there to disrupt the play and prevent an on man rush. And then the issue they kind of fall into that is when we see them get Seattle gets extended zone time like they did in the third period, then that's where, you know, maybe these uh, different deficiencies in far as the depth or scoring that or you know Mirror not being, you know, as elite as he maybe it could be. I think that's where things start to really hurt them. That it's not just those rush opportunities, but especially when we're just when Dallas is just letting Seattle kind of camp out and take their time.
0: And it was interesting talking about Saad's, ar- Saad's article and what you're saying is a lot of those highlights were frantic plays where it wasn't necessary. It was, there was, a, you know, the play from behind the net in particular stands up, but some of it was, you know, Miro averting disaster and talking about a size. And I can see how that might, you know, you you don't want him necessarily having to be a firefighter all the time. You'd like for there to be some, you know, calm and, and steady control. And so, Mark, let me bring you back in as we talk about this. What do you think the big difference was? Because I'm, I'm thinking back to game two when it felt like we were all just kind of nodding. All right, This is the starters team we were expecting and they really just controlled the game from start to finish right what is what is the difference from you know game two and, and some of these stretches and some of these struggles we're talking about
1: i think i think seattle's putting a lot of pressure on the stars and uh, you know in, a, in an entirely different way uh to what minnesota did you know, but both of them were pressure I, I think what it boils down to here after after three games really is you start taking a look at these fancy stats and then you compare it to what's actually going on. And if you start taking a look at the actual goal, Miro's been on the ice for four, five-on-five, even-strength goals. Uh, only been there for two. Uh, he's been there for two goals, for and and four goals against. Um, and and that's a pretty good number, uh, at least as far as keeping things down compared to the other defenders out there. One thing I would say is that Miro's taking the hard the hard times on the ice, and that's probably opening up the game for Thomas Harley and Harley's the the darling out here both in in what's happened actually when he's on the ice and the expected goals model he's he's been on the ice for seven even strength goals his uh, his expected goal percentages up you know two-thirds if you will he's shined and marrows numbers Yeah yeah you can quibble about it one way or another but he's eating a lot of hard minutes he's making plays that are averting disaster, and he's doing the kind of things that we expect him to do. Maybe this is a tough matchup. Maybe it's a small sample size, but I, I'm not going to say anything really bad about what he's contributing to this team because without him, we saw what happened.
2: I think a, uh, an interesting point that I kind of oppose uh, this time, I'm going to be asking the question less. Uh, for, uh, for How dare you? Uh, <laughs> so one of the things we saw against Minnesota one of the key matchups was, you know, that Miro Heiskanen going up against Kirill Kaprizov. You know, Minnesota had this definitive top line and superstar players, and it was basically a, okay, Haskinen is your job basically is to keep Kaprizov from scoring, to keep these top players, these prolific goal scorers from scoring. That's your job. Do what you do, and it's something that he's fantastic at. We see it when he matches up against players like Connor McDavid. I mean, he does a really good job at those. Do you think that the fact that Seattle is such a deep team and there's not, you kind of feel like because they're so deep and the Stars' depth after Haskinen is not really kind of non-existent, you think there's anything there in Haskinen being told to basically do too much and have too many people or two different matchups to worry about? Because, I mean, after coming back from injury, he logged 31 minutes in a regulation in a regulation game like that's just insane for any skater let alone someone of his stature i mean is there any kind of truth to that or is that just uh, kind of just blowing smoke a bit
1: well, i think there's a lot to that because if you're talking about the McDavids of the world he's out there in a one-on-one battle and no matter who's around on that line he's going to have that primary assignment and so here with, uh, with, with Seattle, he can only have be assigned one guy. And, and that leaves two other guys in the forward group who are still going to be out there and, and, and can score. And so maybe by having the offense spread out as much as Seattle has it spread out, it, it kind of negates some of the excellence that Miro brings to the game.
0: And I can also see, just from a, a pressure standpoint, this is a team that the thing that Seattle seems to do the best is that that kind of maniac forecheck that disrupts everything coming out of the defensive zone. And Dallas is... Short, You know, they're short on options on how to get the puck out of its own defensive zone with, you know, kind of calm, cool, collected possession. It's really just kind of Miro and, and Harley to some degree that are capable of doing that consistently from the back line. So I could see as well when we talk about high event, like to some degree, the calculus has to be he's got to try something. Because if he tries nothing, they're not going to be able to get the puck out of the zone. And by virtue of trying something, he opens up the possibility for there to be more mistakes. And it 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 could be, it seems to me at least, like it's one of those situations where that's just the nature of this particular series. And it's, it's a matchup thing. And, you know, what Dallas is going to have to gamble on is that Miro Haskinen being the player like it basically that that Miro Haskin is going to be able to make more of a positive difference than a negative difference as someone that is just, he's going to have to be the guy that gets the puck out of the defensive zone and sort of transitions it into the attack. And they know that because he's going to have to be that guy, there's going to be some stuff that comes back the other direction and Dallas is just going to have to deal with it. And, and, you know, here's, here's another, kind of, you know, I want to get your thoughts on whether this is a scary thought as we sit here 10 games through the postseason. If I told you that Jake Ottinger had a 2.71 goals against and a 903 save percentage, that's not what we expected, right? Yeah,
1: I I think that's exactly right. Uh, You know, some of that might be garbage time, if you will. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say that we've seen Ottinger have an excellent game yet this series. And, and and maybe to, to take on what you said uh, about the defense, um, if you take a look at Seattle, Vince Dunn is kind of in the same situation that Haskinen is in, and his numbers, I think, have suffered because of the pressure that's been put on him. But if, if you took a, take a look at Justin Schultz, who plays third pair, his numbers shine very, very similar, I think, to what, what's happened with, with Thomas Harley because he's been able to get the easier matchup.
2: I think that's definitely true. I mean, especially when you're talking about, um, you know, we keep going back to the Seattle depth, but I mean, when you have those strong players that are playing in, you know, lesser roles, but then they're matching up against lesser competition, it's or not a strong competition that definitely helps play in your favor. And especially, you know, when Dallas is not having a top line, you know, dominating and, they got to try and throw everything out there. And, I mean, it kind of disrupts things when you kind of trying to get to a depth-on-depth battle. And as far as Ottinger is concerned, I, yeah, I think, unlike, you know, last series in Minnesota, we're starting with Game 4. Basically, Ottinger, after getting shut out, he put out three, you know, consecutive, you know, very strong performances, you know, almost closed the series out with two shutout, shutouts. Um, and we, we haven't seen that from us. And outside of Game 3, I think game three was just, you know, it was a very bad game. It was like probably the worst of his NHL career. Um, it statistically was. And if you throw that out, that probably helps the numbers, even if you do like a whole like throw out the worst game, throw out the best game. But I think there's still the flurry of goals and there's still the pressure that's being put on. And it's kind of the case where there's a lot of the goals I think that are that are going against Ottinger, they're kind of cases where you say, Okay, but can you you can kind of find excuses like, all right, that's a really hard shot to block. That's a really uh, dangerous tip, though. There's only so much the goalie can do. And I think the concern in there lies, you know, that it's the playoffs. I mean, you get the weird bounces, you get the crazy tips. I mean, at the end of the day, a goal is a goal is a goal. And if you're Dallas, you really need two things to happen, or at least one of the two. You either need Ottinger to not just be a great goalie who's getting beat by you know high danger shots, but to truly be one of the put in another performance uh, that we know he's capable of. You know, from Minnesota and Calgary, of oh god, how did that puck not go in? He absolutely robbed it, and that's just how he's playing the entire game. Or you need Jason Robertson to be able to step up, put the throttle on there and help tilt the, the scales that way, going the other direction, you know, cause I think this team, you know, sports psychology is a real thing. And, you know, we saw it with Haskin and going out in game three and Andre not looking solid. I mean, there's definitely a, a, psychological aspect when your top players aren't playing their best and the stars kept on talking about how relieved they were that Miro was back in the lineup this past game. And I think that had an effect on their performance, you know, whether or not Miro had a, you believe Miro had a strong game or not. And I think if with the stars, best players of those top players are get back to buzzing or making those big things, the rest of the team will kind of feed off of that uh, energy.
0: Yeah. And I think the, I think those are all very good points. And the, the optimist take of all of that would be Dallas has had neither the signature Ottinger game nor the signature Robertson game in this series and they're at two to two and you know i think to your point it's it's it is a testament you know pavelski has come back in a huge way uh max Domi has uh you know he he finished the first round with a uh you know he had the two big games to close it out right he didn't have anything the first four then he had three points in the last two games against minnesota followed it up with he's at um, seven points so far in the the seattle series a couple of big three uh, three point performances in games one and four. So they're getting help from elsewhere, which is negating a little bit of what, of what you're talking about. But Tal, I do think that has to be um, a consideration. And so far the, the really top of the marquee names haven't really been the storyline in this series. And that's something that, you know, it's, it's, it's a concern for the stars moving forward. I think.
2: Jack Han did a nice Twitter thread about this uh, last night, comparing Robertson's situation to Toronto. And, Sean Shapiro has also talked about this on this on his podcast. It, it's kind of amazing how Dallas is where they are. You know, beating Minnesota in six games now, two and two against the Seattle team that knocked off the champs and is playing very, very good hockey. It's kind of crazy that they're doing that while their 109 point scorer has pretty much been invisible. <laughs> um, and as I kind of put it in my afterwards piece uh, the day as we're referring this, you know, if Robertson if he starts to finally, you know, get that monkey off his back and he, you know, finds that new level or that net level we know he's capable of, and he suddenly everything starts clicking, I mean, I, if I, then if I'm a team with the way Dallas has kind of been playing well without him to this point, and then if you're adding in 109-point score, Robertson back into the mix, you know, if I'm an NHL team still in the playoffs, I do not want to have to go up against Dallas. I'm basically... A, praying every night that that doesn't happen and that he continues to be a no-show because, like I said, I think that alone could suddenly, because if Robertson with how great hints and Pavelski been playing, if Robertson can find that level and we have the super line back, or, you know, Pavelski going back down and having get strong tactics or whatnot, I mean, I think that's that could very well be the breaking of the dam for this stars team compared to Seattle. And we could very much see a case of, you know, last round gets Minnesota with Ottinger's superstar performance in the last two games where the team just takes a series. We actually yeah. And let me, there? Uh, and I was
0: going to say, let me use this as an opportunity to, to, to pull Mark back into the mess. What is the outlook? Like, it, I, I spoke last podcast, and I still believe this. I don't see anything screaming at me that there is an injury or something untoward going on with Jason Robertson. But, you know, we keep talking about, oh, boy, what will what'll it be like when he finally has his eruption? Mark, what's your level of confidence that that kind of, kind of emergent performance is coming?
1: Uh, after the last game, I think uh, a lot higher than it was before. He had probably you know, half of his chances in the series— last night he had at least one out there you know the 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 turnover where he's coming down down the center of the ice where i was pretty much already up and, and and pumping my fist that the puck was in the net before i realized that he missed i mean that's that's something that he doesn't doesn't really miss a whole lot um he started out the game with with something coming down the wing and uh, and, and just putting it over the pad and uh, and grubar made a nice save on it so He's getting the chances, at least in this last game, and once he starts seeing chances, I think ultimately he starts seeing the back of the net.
0: Yeah, it feels that way, right? Um, and I don't remember that there was really a stretch against Minnesota where those grade A, you know, classic Robertson chances were coming. It, it d- does trouble me that on the turnover, he missed the net. So there is an element of, you know, calm it down, kid, get something on frame and, and let the... You know, let the puck do the work for you. He's he's shooting, I think, just a shade on uh, over six percent right now. So there's a lot to suggest that regression is coming um, for Robertson. It'd be nice if it went ahead and showed up, right? Maybe a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's is this, you know, Tyler? Are are you kind of in the same spot? Do you think it's 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 coming? Do you do you see something that we're not kind of mentioning going on? What's your take on Robertson's situation?
2: It's it's kind of one of those cases where like you said, it, it's hard to look at him and think, oh, there's, you know, people are saying, oh, he must be injured. I, I don't really, because of this is how he's playing, I don't really see it. I also don't really buy into the whole, like, some people are saying, oh, you know, playoff hockey's just different. He's just not, not adapting well. I, I mean, maybe there's elements because you think about the last year too, but it, it's so hard to tell if it's coming or not because you can't, it, it's so hard to diagnose the problem, if that makes sense. It's like, At this point, I think when it comes to expecting something to happen, it's just a case of you have to look at it two ways. You have to look at one, you know, Jason Robertson is an incredible player. That, you know, 109-point season wasn't a fluke. He also scored 40 goals last year. I mean, he's getting better and better every year. He's truly a, you know, a top player, you know, in the league. Just from that face, yes, he's going to, get back to form and you know be a superstar again the, the flip side of that is playoffs are a small sample size and that's why it's kind of like oh it, don't get too worried about it. it's a small sample size but the same point there's only so many games for him to you know get there you know if he needs for instance if if you were able to say okay that breakthrough is coming three games from now i mean Dallas might not be playing three games from now, theoretically. I mean, they, it, the yeah, top, that might be clock September, is ticking. Right? <laughs> you know, the clock is ticking, and I think that's the concern, where it's not so much a that I think, like, Robertson is, like, solved, or he's just, like, broken, or just can't perform in the playoffs. It's just like a, I know that regression back to his normal is coming. It's just, does Dallas last long enough, or do they play it to actually see it? That's where I'm kind of, that's where my nervous is, is, is just come on like it just needs to happen because i think once he gets that monkey off his back i think once he you know gets that score gets that goal that we're so desperately seeing you know i I think at that point it'll kind of be a you know a a wave of relief and i think we might get that thing back to business
0: yeah and i think that's where it comes you know we're seeing shots get blocked we're seeing him shoot wide it's 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 the stuff that you know an armchair psychology take it for what it's worth which is not very much but to your point it's not that that Seattle is doing something new or innovative or, you know, washing him out of games. He had, you know, three shots in game one, one shot in game two, three shots in game three, three shots in game four. He had four shots in consecutive games um, to close out Minnesota. You know, he's all, he's, he's getting, he's getting his opportunities. And so, yeah, it does stand to reason that sooner or later there, there was the one, you know, the gold mouth scramble, right. Where I forget which of the Seattle defensemen came across and, and made a block that, that stopped one that looked pretty definitively goal bound, um, from where I was sitting. Right. So yeah. And and maybe, maybe once that happens, it becomes a little bit, you know, instinct takes over and you know, all of that, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, they, they need that to happen. That that's a big calculus, even if, you know, even if it's not necessarily against Seattle at some point, at some point they're going to need Jason Robertson to win them a game. And that's just that. And, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see if, 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 and when he's able to, um, able to get that done. Well,
1: and the thing is, one of the one of the things that you do when you're in a bit of a slump is you create other options that create danger in ways that isn't necessarily your shot. So uh, a nice assist here or there get people uh, away from thinking that they have to take your lanes in order to block the shot, because you're gonna feed Hintz or you're gonna feed pa- Pavelski instead of take that shot. And all of a sudden you put a little doubt into their mind and that opens up that crack that you need come back and and get the shot. It's kind of the opposite of what's been happening with Domi. Where Domi spent a lot of the time with the stars trying to be the complete assist guy and he's become more effective once he went back and started shooting a higher percentage of those shots as opposed to just being there trying to distribute
0: the puck. And he's been, you know, talking about guys that in a tight series, are making a difference. He has really come through, I think, and it's it's another you know feather in the mustache of Jim Nil, right? In that last round, it was Evgeny Dadanov scoring a series of very important goals to drive the team forward, or it was Tyler Sagan stepping into Pavelski's slot, Pavelski slot on the top line. Um, this series, it's been you know Max Domi by and large has done a lot of the damage offensively, and um, you know Thomas Harley chipping in with a big goal. So they they are you know the 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 anti-Stars knock heading into this series was, I think people fixated on the top line and forgot that Dallas is also deep. And it's not necessarily the same type of depth as you see with a team like Seattle, but it is, you know, it is incorrect and, and dismissive to say that the Stars are a one-line team because I think they're, we're now in the middle of the second round of them proving that 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 top line isn't the only thing that they've got going for them offensively.
1: Well, and you talk about about you know Jason Robertson not going off. You know, the the underlying narrative for the entire playoffs here, if you talk to the to the analytics community, is how incredibly good Wyatt Johnston has looked, and they're they're in fact shocked that he hasn't put up more points. Oh, he's he been he has created classic so ice opportunity
0: too. Every time you see yeah. him on the ice, he's do, he's puck jacking somebody, and he's you know he's still you know 19 years old, man.
2: I mean, yeah, that, throughout that entire series, it was just like my dad. My dad, who finally, after much debating this uh, year, decided he was gonna need a new jersey because Klingberg leaving, and he eventually decided on a Wyatt Johnston jersey because he's been that good as a rookie. Um, the whole series, we were talking, just talking, like uh, it's been so. It's like, man, he's due. He's due. Like, he- why is he just scoring? He deserves it. And and. Then he finally kind of then broke the dam at the bit, and he has a bit for Seattle. And even then, the scary thing is, even though unlike Robertson, he kind of finally started scoring. It's it's like Mark said, it's like why isn't he scoring more? I mean, that game one, there was you know, two or three chances at the end of regulation where Wyatt could have been could have sealed the deal possibly. And then we suddenly are looking. I mean, maybe who knows what happens following that? But we're possibly looking at three-one series, Dallas after having completely stolen game one. It's that sort of thing where, you know, he's been fantastic. And there's also at the same time, the idea of he could be producing even better. Like, it's still like, man, what happens if he those pucks start going in that or he starts converting on that, then like, oh, holy crap. how does that look like for Dallas?
1: Well, and this has been such a weird series too, because it's been so, it's been so high and then so low and whether that's because coaches are making adjustments or just just general randomness that's working its way through the series other than game 1 we've had we've had a bunch of blowouts and so the question i think now is going into game 5 you know, dallas is coming off this great performance and what does seattle do to come back from it and i mean first of all you're going to have to deal with the fact that they have their 40 goal scorer, scorer back in the lineup he looked pretty good in, in game four, although uh, you know, by the by the time he he started getting back up into the into the first line, the, the game was somewhat over. But now you have Jared McCann out there and you potentially have the Dallas Stars without Mason Marchmont, who took a elbow to the chin, and Landria, who is ill or was ill and so may not be back hundred percent. And so what do the stars do here with their adjustments to their lineup? knowing that they're going to have to deal with a fully uh, Seattle loss sprung and they moved Cartier down to down to his spot. They didn't really lose anything there, and now they have a 40-goal scorer back in the lineup.
0: And we will answer that question in just a second. We're going to take a break and check in with the green team. Uh, seems only fitting as we're talking um, some injury news, so we'll be back in just a moment. You know, Mark. People get hurt from car accidents, medical malpractice, and other personal injury accidents, but they never call an attorney. They leave thousands of dollars in medical bills and lost wages on the table that could otherwise be covered and instead just take the insurance company's word. This is silly when you could just call Robert Greening at Greening Law. Greening and his Green Team are fierce legal competitors for you against the insurance companies. Consultations are free, so you have nothing to lose. And there are no hourly attorney fees either. They only get paid if you recover.
1: Right? These folks
0: definitely need to call Robert Greening and the Green Team. Sure do. So remember, if you've been hurt in an accident, been a victim of medical malpractice, or have been hurt on a business's premises, call the Green Team at Greening Law in Dallas, Texas at 972-934-8900 now. They will fight your legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Greening Law, Office Dallas, Texas. Yeah, and, and we're back. Um, thank you very much, Green Team, for the sponsorship. As Mark mentioned, there is you know Mason Marchment left the game not to return. Uh, obviously got you know caught an elbow to the jaw. Something else might be going on. It's playoff time, right? Upper body could mean literally anything. Uh, and then we have, as well, Yanni Hockenpah was a late scratch with a lower body injury, tied Delandria missed with illness. And the, the illness one always terrifies me. In the playoffs because depending on what illness means right these are are groups of of people that are traveling together spending tons of time together and it can be if it's illnesses of a certain you know it could it could be a stomach bug or the flu or something you know there's there's stuff that can kind of get through and ravage a team in a way that's not necessarily going to take people out of the lineup but is going to limit effectiveness of those in hurt you know hurt endurance things like that so certainly keeping an eye on, on that situation. And, you know, Marchment as well, he hadn't necessarily been putting up a ton of points, but he gives the stars something different. And in a series that has been as aggressive and physical and frenetic as the Seattle one has been so far, he's a guy that you feel like is, you know, could be missed if he's out for a prolonged stretch of time.
1: Yeah. Although I think just given the general nature of this series, where, where nobody has, uh, Nobody's ultimately uh, trying to run through other guys. There, there's not a whole lot of physicality in this series, and, and I think Yoel Kiviranta does that same role just as well, and and Delandria can a, as well. So, uh, given that given that we have both those guys available, I think uh,
0: I, I think we should be. Yeah, and I'm I'm strange in this regard. I'm not as concerned. I mean, obviously getting a player of the caliber of Jared McCann and, and getting a 40 goal scorer back into your lineup is going to help any team. And I'm not by any stretch downplaying that. It will make a difference if you're a Kraken fan. At the same time, it's not, you know, again, the way that they play, it's not like they were constructed around a single individual player and I don't know. I, I just feel like that's the Dallas isn't going to win or lose this game based on the presence of one additional weapon in Seattle's lineup. It's going to be their sort of holistic ability to handle the four check. And I, I just I think there are if if Jared McCann is the reason that the stars wind up losing the series. I think that's much more because Dallas has failed in other respects than anything that Jared McCann as an individual hockey player has been able to do. This isn't you know, he's not he's not Connor McDavid. He's not, you know, uh, Kaprizov. He's not he's not that tier. He's a very, very good hockey player and he's going to be very dangerous. He's going to help them a lot. But again, it's he's not the difference in my mind.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he to, to draw parallels like I mean, it's coming a year, you know, year two instead of necessarily year one. But I mean, I think it's kind of similar to how. William Carlson was for Vegas in the first year, just not even not talking about, you know, play styles or, you know, even statistics, but it's like, it's very much of a case of best player on a team. Like, like we've talked about that doesn't have the superstars. He was there for, he was a 40 goal scorer. That's fantastic. He was obviously had a great year. It's also the truth of the fact that, uh, pretty much almost everyone on that Seattle team scored at least 10 goals. Several of them scored. I think they they had six different 20 goal scorers uh, on their lineup. And because they're absolutely lethal at five on five and just, you know, a lot of those just ended up going more so to McCann than others. Uh, And so I think his presence, you know, and we can even look back to the first series when he, did score a goal and then went out with injury like we talked about i disagree that he's not a difference maker for seattle i think he can definitely be a very dangerous player and cause a lot of problems for the stars where it's like if he kind of finds that level it's like our oh, crap like we got to make sure we stop mccann i just don't think it's at the same level as far as you know if seattle faced that issue with jason robertson or if they once they face that issue with Pavelski coming back game one and lighting up or even someone like Max Domi. Like, I think it's uh, probably maybe Domi is more in a similar, uh, maybe a little bit lesser. Uh, but my point being is I think I think you're right that if McCann suddenly started to light up Dallas, they, they should be able to persevere that and, you know, help mitigate that through their other play. And if they don't and they lose, end up losing the series – that's partially the can, but more so other areas of weakness.
1: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think this series comes down to one, which goaltender gets hot here at the end and and two, who is able to put the most pucks in the net. You know, if the stars can get rolling offensively, I think they have a have a real good shot here. They're gonna have their defensive weaknesses exposed. And we kind of see how that looks. Uh, you don't want to give them up in bursts like we have in the two losses. But for the most part, yeah, the the defense, uh, it, it bends. And and you kind of hope Ottinger cleans it up on the end.
0: And, and you'd have to and, think in the bigger term that, that you know, Grubauer versus Ottinger should be a, a matchup that skews in favor of Dallas. You know, Grubauer is having a career renaissance postseason right now. And that's, that's definitely a concern. Um, you know, it's, I think, coming into it, right, it was... He was an 8.95 goaltender in the regular season. He's been, you know, 9.20s for a lot of the playoffs, and and that's a problem for teams playing Seattle. But it's the same, you know, it's 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 the anti-Robertson, right? It's it's if he can, you know, history tells us that that's not who he is, and that number is is bound to deflate a little bit. And when that number deflates a little bit, Seattle's going to be a lot less fearsome. But pulling back the the line from the very start of the podcast if it doesn't revert for another two weeks, right. Then that's, that's several rounds. You know, that's, that's the future, right. That's, that's meaningful. There just may not be enough sample size for that to correct itself in a way that matters to the Dallas stars this year, this postseason. So you don't just want to look at it and hope that you don't want to look at anything and say, Oh, well, he's, he hasn't done that historically. Therefore we don't need to worry about him continuing to do that now because he, he might. And that that's a problem.
2: Well, and it is it is funny you kind of bring that up because you brought up earlier saying, "Man, what would you tell me if, uh, what would you say if I told you Jake Ottinger's, his playoff percentage right now is .903. Philip Grubauer is .909. So if we're looking at just the raw numbers, not trying to get into goals saved, or expected or whatnot, like if we're just looking at the raw numbers in terms of goals let in, things again because of all these score goals they've been allowing that Dallas has been scoring now for. Uh, for these two games, uh or you know specifically this last one, things have kind of analytically, it, it's kind of very not analytically but just statistically, it's kind of deceiving because we're talking about you know Grubauer is having a renaissance, he's having a great playoffs, Ottinger, he's the you know the straw that makes the turns to start strength, and then you kind of look at the statistics and it's kind of like. What like what are you talking about? Like these players, like look at these save percentages. This isn't at all sort of what we would expect from you know fantastic goalie performances. And so, and I think that's just kind of a, uh, a side effect of just how high event and how like crazy goal scoring these games have been. And, and really, I mean, the entire second round. I mean, because if you look at it, with the exception of Toronto and Florida, you have all the other three series have been going very, very similar. I mean, Dallas has been going back and forth to Seattle, blowouts versus blowout versus blowout. Uh pretty much every game in the Hurricanes double series has been some very high number to one goal. Uh even the same thing goes with uh Vegas and Edmonton. It was like six four game and then five one and then five one the other way. So it's definitely a, a weird case where, you know, the statistics don't really they're a lot lower than you would expect for pretty much everyone because we're just seeing so much goal scoring. And so that makes you know much more critical to think about, you know, those big save moments or those big, oh man, like he absolutely robbed one. That's Mark's just... Mark's
0: point from earlier about it it almost turns into the it's it's almost like a basketball mentality. The important thing is in this every hockey fiber of my brain is exploding as I say this, but it's it's less about stopping an individual goal and it's more about making sure that that individual goal doesn't turn into two and then turn into three and then the game is suddenly out of hand
2: right which is what dallas has exactly struggled at this series and is the big i mean if because seattle's uh dallas has struggled back at seattle has that's where their big games their wins have come from off the backs of those bursts of scoring that and Dallas wins have stop.
0: come in games where they've stopped it right in, in game. Just the example in the, the most recent game, Dallas gets up all, you know, Seattle scores, starts to get a little bit of push and then hence, you know, kind of buries it. And yeah, Seattle scored later to, to close it a little bit. But again, it was one of those Seattle showed signs like they were potentially making a run and Dallas got an extra goal and, and was able to ride it out. But yeah, when they've been able to prevent those explosions, they've been fine um, when they haven't, they've lost.
1: Yeah, I, I think one more thing that maybe we uh, we cover here: uh, Yanni Hockenpaar with a with a lower body injury. Uh, second series in a row, we see Joel Hanley come into the lineup, and uh, and it seems all the all the stars do when Hanley comes in is win, and uh, they they certainly did it
0: again. Uh, he
1: looked good with Thomas Harley. Uh, he did,
0: and the saw a good a good article about. How or it may, it was, no? Sorry, it may have been. It may have been Sean. I apologize. So I, I will hopefully we'll correct it in the summary when we post the podcast. But yeah, I was talking about how Harley is a guy that wants to drive play, um, and Hanley is a guy that wants to keep things steady. And so putting those two together is sort of you've got your lead guitarist and you've got your rhythm guitarist, and everything works out wonderfully.
1: It's, it's the role that that, that uh, Hanley's there for, and uh, he's he's there to make other people look better around him.
0: And I, I will say, you know, you never want an injury to a guy, especially someone that has become such a, you know, for, you never want to injure a guy, an injury to a player that has played as much and as prominent a role as Hockenpah, especially paired with Lindell on the penalty kill. But if we're talking strictly matchups, right, one of the things, and it came up when we were talking Lundqvist during the regular season, one of the things about taking and out of the lineup was his physical profile is so unique across the Dallas Stars that when you take him out, you lose a distinctive element. I think the one thing in Dallas's favor right now that's kind of mitigating this loss is that Seattle isn't a team with a, you know, they, they don't have that big power forward. That's going to just stand on top of the crease and dare you to move them. They're a team that plays with pace. They're a team that challenges you on the breakout. They they're, they're a team that you can get away with having a little bit less size because you're not necessarily gonna beat them with with that kind of physicality, anyways, right? You're gonna beat them with deft puck movement and you're gonna beat them by being able to diffuse, um, you know, diffuse possessions in a way that's not necessarily the the towering strength of Hawk and Paw's game. Well, is yeah. my my knee-jerk theory after one game absence.
1: Well, the thing is it's the same as the first series. You you had you had somebody who was being affected by the physicality of the Minnesota series and Colin Miller, and, and you insert Thomas Harley because he's, he's the fix-it tool. And now, and when you get to game one of the Seattle series, Miller's back in the lineup and he's done well. And so now, we're, now we find ourselves, yeah, you have an injury, but I think, I think you're right. The Hockenpah is uniquely, his skill set doesn't match up against Seattle very well. And so if, if that takes Joel Hanley for a couple games here, and then we move on, uh, you know, assuming that we win here, you have another series coming up, then you reset back to your top six. And so you bring in your number seven guy as, as the, as the fix it guy, and, and then you reset.
0: And that, that's what he's for, right? I guess it's, it's the, you know, we, who, who would have thought that we would be talking positively about Dallas's defensive depth at this point in the playoffs. I did. We did have one before we hit the road here. We have a user question. Z is for Zuboff is asking, and since we're talking injuries and lineup moves and all of that, uh, you know, if the stars do run into more trouble and and need to pull from their black aces, who do you guys feel? We'll start with you, Tyler, because you've been a little bit on the sidelines for the last couple of minutes. Who do you feel like that first call up is going to be?
2: I'm definitely not as tuned with the Texas Stars uh, as Mark. I think it probably just from the fact that when the last call-up that they did briefly to the playoffs, that it never, uh, even though it never materialized into playing time. I think you probably, I think you have to look at Riley uh, Tufty coming up uh, just because I think that's a player who, whoever's coming up, if they're coming into black ace, they're going to be eating very sheltered minutes, kind of like on a fourth line type role. And I think, yeah, Tufty would do well on that, and I don't think they would necessarily want to try and you know you're not going to see them try and say oh let's get you know Maverick Bork up here and let's try and jumpstart our scoring or something like that. Uh, that that's not going to be the mentality. And you also have to keep you know cognizant of yes at the end of the day it's all about the NHL team, but you also you know have to admit that your NHL team is in the playoffs and they have you know doing decently well and you know you don't need to try and necessarily take their quote-unquote you know one of their best players or whoever you just kind of have to find the person that you think would fit in best to your lineup and i would imagine that's probably tough D.
0: yeah and i think as well you're not going to get for that role like you said it's it's Heaven forbid it's an important, you know, top six spot, right? You're calling in depth, you're calling in somebody to maybe change a physical profile of a series, inject some energy, something like that. I think you're gonna have to go with an option that Dallas has seen before. So it's it's Tufty, it's Olafson, it's a guy that that, you know, it's a guy that we're not going to get. I think we're not going to get Bork because he hasn't played with the stars yet this season. So I, I don't see why they'd go with an unknown in that situation. You're you're looking for comfort. Um, you're looking for something you can kind of accurately project. Mark, what do you think?
1: Well, I mean, first off, I think you know, your number one option if you need a player is is Freddie Olofsson. He's he's been with the club. He's mm-hmm. been uh, he's been there the entire playoffs. I'm gonna go way off the board here. If you call somebody up, I think the guy you call up is Riley Damiani, and and I say that for two reasons. I say that one because he has that feisty dynamic. He's been up with the club. He has certain skills. He has speed. Um, he's he he can contribute in in, in ways. And I also say that because he's also expendable with what you have going down in Texas. And and I think if he comes up, uh. Texas continues to hit on all cylinders so he's kind of uniquely the guy who who you might want to bring up
0: interesting that's not that's not the name I would have thought of but yeah I, I can see it it's it's a and it matches my criteria as well he not necessarily this season but he has played in the NHL in the past so from a acclimation standpoint this is a kid that's not necessarily going to be heading completely into the unknown, right? So I, I think that, that makes a ton of sense. Hopefully, and no offense to all of Senator Damiani or Tufti or anybody else, hopefully we don't have to find out because, um, you know, hopefully this this team is able to keep itself on the ice close to its current configuration. Um, but, but I guess we'll have to see. So big game coming up. We'll go ahead and, and finish up with I, I don't like doing – the necessarily the prediction game in the playoffs because you know you're courting jinxes and whatnot. So I always like to start with you know Mark. What what do you need to see from Dallas in Game Five that that's going to kind of make you think that things are going to be okay?
1: I'm looking for shots that pick the upper portion of the net on Grubauer. I think we've we've found his uh, his kryptonite high shots either over block or over glove. He has a propensity to uh, give up goals there. And if we can get some open looks at it, I think
0: uh, I, I think we'll hit the spots. Love it, love it. Tyler, what about you? Uh, to kind of re-hit,
2: kind of what we've been talking about the podcast. My thing is, when Seattle scores, and I mean, they will score, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I'm not, with the way the series has been going, I'm not, I'm not even, even if Jake is fantastic, I'm not expecting a shout out. You know, when Seattle scores, how did the stars look in those several shifts afterwards in those minutes? Because we talked about the two wins that Seattle has came off the backs of quick scoring and quick following up goals. And then for the games they've won have been cases where first Seattle scored, but then they kind of were able to snuff it out or they were to turn around and respond themselves. And so I think if Dallas is able to keep Seattle from basically Going on a run and really finding their groove and making them truly work to get a goal here and there throughout the entire game, that makes me feel a lot better about the Stars' uh, prospects. That's why I kind of really liked their game four, because even when they were, you know, kind of getting shelled in the third period, they still weren't allowing goals back to back. You know, they let in the one, they stood strong, and it wasn't until the end of the period, towards the end of the period, where they finally let in the other one. Uh, I think that's the important thing that they need to keep up with.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll spin from both of you guys. I think it's calm is the word that, that comes to me. And I have, there have been long stretches of this series where where Dallas has looked fine and they've looked like they've been able to control play. And you've seen that. that, in my opinion, there is a talent edge that favors the stars and for long stretches in particular in game two. And for a lot of game four, you've seen them use that talent to overcome some of the energy and aggression that Seattle throws at them counterbalance, right? In moments when that calm has fled, things get frantic. It's an odd man rush. Something spectacular happens. They either give up a ton of goals or they give up a really nice chance, things like that. So I think for, for Dallas, you're trying to, you know, you don't want to necessarily... I don't think you have to be scared of trading a chance or two with Seattle because you're probably going to need that to score. But whether it's it's Ottinger not... I love the way you say about, you know, Tyler, they're not going to... It's not going to be, you know, one to nothing hockey, right? So it's 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 Ottinger not overplaying pucks, chasing perfection. It's, you know, Haskin not... You know, overplaying pucks, exiting the zone, looking for you know breakaway passes all the time. Can the team maintain a structure that allows their talent edge to manifest, or do they get suckered by Seattle's pace and Seattle style? Do they get pulled out of that structure and pulled into a track meet that does seem to favor the the Kraken in a way that it doesn't necessarily favor the stars? So i will be looking for that sense of, of calm and that sense of, of kind of collective action from Dallas. And that's, that's what I'm going to see. That's going to let me know if, if they're going to be okay in that game. It'll be a good one though. This has been a, uh, you know, even though there've been a couple of blowouts, it's been a fascinating series overall. We've, we've learned some things about the makeup of this roster, things that we knew things that we didn't know um, things from Mark that have just severely bummed us all out and we're just going to have to have an extra drink tonight before the oblivion of sweet sleep claims us. So uh, thanks for, for joining gentlemen, KT, for putting it all together. Folks don't forget to check out DBD for our, our ongoing coverage of all things. Dallas stars, hockey, uh, like the podcast, download the podcast, validate us socially. You know, we need it. We're all really praise driven creatures. So, you know, help us out. Any any last thoughts, gentlemen, before we sign off? Give Thomas Harley more
2: minutes, Ooh. please.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, more yeah. <laughs> minutes. i was begging right. you. T-
0: Let begging Harley me. cook.
2: <laughs> Let Harley cook.
0: All right, I love it. That's a good spot to end. That's the podcast. We will we'll will figure out what's going on after after Game Five tomorrow. This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal.